So for our sermon today, we're continuing in the series that we've been in. We've been taking sort of an extra special targeted look at Christ, focused on him. We're always Christ-centered. I've been saying that each sermon because I want to emphasize that, but sort of an extra targeted direct focus on Christ. With Easter approaching, that's the series we want to do sort of as we build toward the cross and, and his resurrection from the dead, headed toward Good Friday, Easter. Uh, we just want to focus on Christ in that extra focused and targeted sense. So that's what we've been doing. And if we're going to focus on Christ. Uh, it just sort of naturally makes sense to touch upon the subject of who he is. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus guy? And, and I realize you guys out there might be saying, I, you know, I, I know who Jesus is. I know the truth. I know he's God the Son in the flesh who became a human being, right? I, I'm sure you guys understand that. You know that. But the reality is that for many in our world, they, they don't really understand the truth about Christ, the truth about who he is. Uh, there are varied views, right? Certainly very common out there is the view that, well, Jesus, he was, he was a, a good teacher, a good guy. I sort of like some of his teaching, but, you know, I, I don't really believe that he was indeed God, God the Son, right? For many out there, we'll, we'll talk about this more, but for, for many out there, they just don't really believe the truth about Christ. When it comes to the truth about Christ, even if you know it, you understand it, most in our world do not. When it comes to the truth about Christ, most reject the truth, most reject him, right? They do not believe the truth about Christ. They do not believe in him. And as a result, they are perishing for their sins. And so this is hugely important. It's a big topic. And again, it's something that most people in our world get wrong. And so we need to touch upon it. We want to talk about it. If we're focusing on Christ leading up in this sort of Easter season, leading up to Easter, if we're going to talk about Christ. Let's touch upon this since so many people tragically get it wrong. Who is Jesus. And of course, to answer this question, where are we going to go? We're going to look at scripture. We're going to see what the Bible says. And the Bible is very clear. We'll see that as we go through. We're going to look at a lot of passages from the Gospels. But the Bible is very clear, abundantly clear about who this Jesus is. And we're going to start with the Gospel of Matthew. So you can turn there. Chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. And so this is right toward the beginning of, of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has not even been born yet. He is uh, in the womb of Mary. And, and let's read it. So Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So I just want to pause at this point. Already, right again, Jesus hasn't even been born. He, he's still in Mary's womb, and yet we're already told that this is not some, some regular child. This is not just some regular old human being. This child is not conceived in the normal way. We know how that works. That's not how this came about, but rather this conception is from the Holy Spirit. This is a wondrous, miraculous thing. We already know up front here, again, before he's even been born, he is no ordinary human, right? There's more to it than that. And as we read on in this passage, we're going to get more of the specifics. Right, so for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Then continuing on, verse 21, she will bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? So we're told here that Jesus is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. And what is a name? His name is Jesus. But what is an additional name that is rightfully given to him? Well, it's Emmanuel. And that means God with us. And this additional name given to him, Emmanuel, is, is entirely speaking to who he is. This, this remarkable child that, that's not the result of a normal conception. This, this conception, it, it's from the Holy Spirit. In fact, he's not just some regular old person at all. This is, in fact, God with us. It is, in fact, God the Son who has taken on flesh and is now among us and with us, right? Very clearly, that is what is being said. Jesus is God the Son indeed who has now become a human being, fully God, fully divine, and you now has become a human being, fully human as well. And then we'll finish off the passage. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Right, and so we've seen that who is Jesus here, very clearly stated, again, before he's even born, while still in Mary's womb, told very clearly, this is indeed God with us. This is God the Son who's now in the flesh. And we see the same thing right at the outset of the Gospel of John as well, not just right at the beginning of Matthew, but here now we're going to read from chapter 1 of, of John's Gospel. We'll read, uh, we're going to jump around a little bit, but verse 1, verse 14, and then verse 18 and we're going to see the same thing about Jesus. It says, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word here is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, meaning God the Father was with God the Father. And the Word, that's Jesus, was God, right? So here we have, again, very clearly stated, who is Jesus? He's God. He's God the Son, the eternal God who was there in the beginning with God the Father. He is indeed God. And then we read on, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? And the Word became flesh. So he's God the Son, fully God, fully divine, and yet what has happened? He has become flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He has become a human being, taken on a human nature. He is fully God, fully divine, and yet then has taken on flesh and is now fully human as well clearly stated, right? This is what we see from Scripture. This is the identity of Jesus. This is who he is. And at this point, we're going to look at a number of passages from here on out, but I really want to focus on the divinity of Christ at this point, not because his humanity is, is unimportant. It's hugely important. He became a human being in order that he might take our place, take our sin, our punishment, make atonement for our sin, pay for it in full, so that through faith in him as a gracious gift, through saving faith in him, we might be forgiven, saved, have everlasting life. So his humanity, it's huge, it's important. But the reality is his humanity is not really where people in our world today push back. I haven't personally ever heard of someone say, you know, I believe Jesus is God. I just don't believe he was a human being. That's sort of not something our world seems to struggle with. That's not the area of pushback. In fact, it sort of is a matter of historical fact. Anyone who's sort of like, 
halfway reasonable person would say, oh yeah, it's well-established historical fact. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago in Israel, right? He taught and preached in Galilee and in Judea. That's just sort of a matter of fact. That's not where people push back like, I just don't believe you, Pastor Steve. He wasn't a human being. But, but yes, he was God, right? That's not where people push back. So I don't feel the need to overly harp on that. We've sort of addressed it in scripture. It's clearly stated that he did take on flesh and become a human being. But the area of pushback generally in our world today is with regard to his divinity, right? Many people out there would say this is common in sort of like liberal Protestantism or even those who wouldn't call themselves Christians but might just say like, yeah, I like Jesus. I like his teachings a bit. I like to read the Bible from time to time would say, oh, yeah, I I believe Jesus was a human. I just don't believe that stuff that you believe about. He's actually God. No, he's just a human being, not God. I don't believe, believe that he was God. He's just sort of a good teacher. He had a lot of good things to say about love and whatnot, right? That is, is pretty mainstream in our world these days, even from those who would call themselves Christians. Again, sort of liberal Protestantism, that's commonplace and has been for many generations. Um, And and so that's the area in our world where people really push back when it comes to the identity of Christ, his divinity. And and it was the same in Jesus's day and age as he was going around preaching and teaching. It's not like the Jews there as he's preaching and teaching to them are like, I don't believe you're a human being. No, they knew he was a human. They could see him there. They could touch him, feel him. He was tangible. They knew he was a human. But the thing that they had a hard time wrapping their heads around was this is, in fact, not just a regular old human being, but it's God the Son. It's God in the flesh, right? That was the area where just it would have blown their minds. And again, it's the same today. That's the area where people push back and struggle to believe the divinity of Christ Jesus. So from here on out, that's really what I'm going to focus on. But I still want to make it clear He, of course, did take on flesh, become a human being, is fully human as well as being fully divine. But so moving on with our scriptures here, we're going to be, we were just in John, we're going to continue in John. Uh, We'll be in chapter 8 now, looking at verses 56 through 59. And as we continue to read these passages, what we just see time and time again is just clearly the divinity of Christ Jesus. It's just so clear from scripture. It's not like it's difficult to find in the gospels and God's word, the fact that, that Jesus is God the Son now in the flesh. It's just everywhere. It's so apparent. Uh, it's so clear, unambiguous. And that's what we're going to see as we look at these passages. So John chapter 8, 59 through 50, uh, 56 through 59. Your father Abraham, this is Jesus speaking, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. Right, so here here these people that Jesus is speaking to, and he's saying, hey, you know, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they're, they're sort of like, wait, he saw your day? Like, you're just, you're not even 50 years old, and you're acting like you were around at the time of Abraham. This doesn't seem to make sense to us, right? And Jesus says, well, you know, you guys just don't get it. You think I'm under 50 years old, you know, 30 or so. That's how old you think I am. But you don't realize I'm immeasurably older than that, in fact, eternal. And he says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Right? What is Jesus saying here? Sort of breaking grammatical rules. He doesn't say, like, before Abraham was born, I existed, you know, so I'm more than 50 years old. I've been around a long time. I was around back in Abraham's day. 
you know, that, that's factual that he was around before Abraham was born. But he, he wants to make a deeper statement than that, something far more profound. And so he sort of breaks grammatical rules here and says, before Abraham was born, I am. And he's making reference to the divine name Yahweh. He's saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm God. I'm the great I am. This is who I am. And, and the Jews there, it's not like they didn't get it. They clearly understood what he was saying because their immediate response is, is this. It says, at this, they picked up stones to stone him. They understood his divine claim here as he says, before Abraham was born, I am, hint, hint, more than a hint. Like, I'm saying I'm Yahweh. I'm saying I'm God. I'm the great I am. They get it. And they think, you know, who is this guy to say this? And if it were any other person other than Jesus, they'd be right to say, like, let's go get stones and stone this guy. He, he's blasphemy, blaspheming. But in this case, Jesus really is, right, God the Son in the flesh. And so he's speaking rightfully and, and truly. And so he's very clearly, again, unambiguously, the Jews around him, as he's speaking to them, they know exactly what he's saying. He is claiming to be God. This is what he is saying. I'm God the Son. Before Abraham was born, I am. I'm Yahweh. I'm the great I am. That's who I am. Looking a little later in the Gospel of John, this is chapter 18, now that we're going to look at, verses 1 through 6. Uh, let me read this for us. It says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And here it will say, in your translation, just about every translation, I am he, Jesus said, right? And that's trying to render it in like grammatically accurate English. Uh, but literally what he says, again, just like before in John, is I am. He just says, I am. And again, same thing happening here. Uh, he's not just saying, oh yeah, I'm the guy you're looking for. He's making a far more profound statement and saying, I am, identifying as Yahweh, as God. And again, we see that this is clearly what's going on and is perceived by, by those soldiers who are out to go and arrest him. As we read on, it says, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am, again, it probably says, I am he in your translation, but when Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground, right? They didn't draw back and fall to the ground because he just said like, yes, I'm the guy you're looking for. That's correct. No, uh, whether there was some sort of special re revelation of his divine glory or whether it was just their heart suddenly, as he says, I am perceives who he is, but nonetheless, they clearly understood, perceived it and couldn't help but just sort of fall to the ground, to draw back and fall to the ground, recognizing this is indeed I am. This is indeed Yahweh. This is indeed God the Son. That's who it is. And again, Jesus is clearly saying that. And as we look elsewhere, again, we're going to clearly see that Jesus is indeed God. He is divine. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. And let me read it. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. 
When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Right? Why, why do I pick this passage? Well, here Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders, they sort of half get, get things here. The, their response is, well, who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? They're right on that point. They're, they're right. Only God can forgive sins. But they don't realize, well, that's who's doing the forgiving right now. This is Jesus who is indeed God. And so they think this is just some regular old guy who thinks like, who does he think he is? He thinks he's God and he's going to forgive sins. He's blaspheming. This isn't okay. And again, if it were any other person, they'd be right in their response. But of course, this is indeed God the Son, right? In, in forgiving sins here, it, it's clearly indicative of in regard to who Jesus is. It is indicating who Jesus's identity is. And again, if, if the religious leaders sort of really got it, were really in tune spiritually, they would understand as well, right? Only God can forgive sins. And, and this man here is forgiving sins. So who does that make him? It makes him God who is now in the flesh, right? Again, in this story, as Jesus forgives sins, we continue to see his divinity because it's only God's place as the religious leaders rightfully identify. It's only God's place to forgive sins. And so in extending forgiveness of sins, Jesus is clearly identifying himself as God, as God the Son. Now we're going to move on to Mark. We're looking at all the different gospels here. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. And I'll read it. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Right? A pretty good question to ask. You know, here you are and you have this man, and he is a man, but of course we know he's more than just a man. And he just speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey him, right? He just says, quiet, be still. And they are, and they obey, right? Your mind should be blown. You should be terrified. You should be quaking 
in your boots and thinking, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And again, you think of like, what's the logical conclusion? You know, I don't control the weather. I don't think any of you do. Human beings can't do that. We don't just speak to the wind, you know, oh, it's kind of too windy of a day. Why don't I just tell the wind to kind of like settle down a little bit and the wind will just do it because of course the wind's going to obey me. No, of course, that, that's not a reality for us as human beings. The wind and the waves, nature, right? Weather, it does not obey us, right? But, but whom does nature obey? Who is sovereign over all, right? The wind and the waves and everything is subjected to God himself. He is the one who is overall. And so if he has the authority, this Jesus guy here, to just make the wind and the waves cease and be still, right? It's got to be God. Who else could do that? No regular human being can just speak and weather and nature just obeys him. Only God could do that. Only God is sovereign over all, right? And again, clearly pointing to that fact. And now we're going to turn to actually a similar passage, and this is in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Involves some wind and some waves, but a little bit of a different passage here. Matthew 14, starting at 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. And again, that's how it's translated in English to make it grammatically correct in English. But literally, it says, take courage, I am. Again, one more place where Jesus is just clearly stating who he is, identifying himself with the divine name, right? I'm Yahweh. I'm God. This is who I am. And then he goes on. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Right, so again, what do we see here? First of all, he's, he's walking on water. Again, like people don't do that. I've never done it. I'm betting you guys haven't done it. Human beings don't do that. So just looking at this miracle or just any miracle period, you know, we're not going to look at every miracle he carried out in the Gospels, but just all of it, every single one. And here walking on water and not just walking on water, but also it's not just sort of like coincidental. That's not the intent here that as he got back in the boat, the wind and the waves just died down, right? It says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. The, the sense is here that clearly Jesus is the one who made the wind die down, made the waves go still there as well. So he's walking on water. He's stilling the wind and the waves here. We saw that in another passage. Uh, we, we've just seen miracle after miracle. As we read through the gospels, we see one miracle after another, after another. Who can do all this? People don't do all of these wondrous miracles, the ones we've read about, all the healings, casting out demons, so forth, on and on, just miracle after miracle after miracle, raising people from the dead, right? People don't do this. What, what does this point to? It points to his identity. Who is he? He's more than just a person. Yes, he is a person, but more than that, 
of course, he is indeed God the Son. And he himself says it, take courage, it is I, but more literally, take courage, I am. Again, he says it even in this passage, making it abundantly clear. And it's like, finally, the disciples who are there in the boat with him, it's like, they get it. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. It's like the light bulb just goes off. Like, who else can do this? Like, people don't do these things. They don't walk on water, right? They don't, they don't just, like, tell the waves and the wind to stop and it happens. They don't do, we've seen miracle after miracle. You can imagine being the disciples. Like, people don't do this. Who is this? And then they see him saying, hey, take courage. I am invoking the divine name there. Again, it's like, finally, they get it. This is God. This is God the Son in the flesh here. And now we're going to look at one more passage where we see the divinity of Christ and this is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, and this is the transfiguration. So let me read it for us here. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white is light. So, so what's happening here, right? Jesus is sort of radiating, shining forth his divine glory, right? That's what's going on, just sort of the, the, the natural glory and radiance and splendor and beauty, that radiant glory of the Lord that shines forth. That's what's happening. This is the divine glory shining forth from Christ Jesus, again, clearly indicating who is he? He's God. His divine glory shining forth, so he is God, clearly identifying him as such, as God the Son. Then it goes on. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Pleased, listen to him. Right, so now what do we have? We have sort of the divine glory cloud, right? Just, we see this throughout scripture. You can think of Sinai, so forth, where, where God appears. This is God the Father here, and he sort of wraps himself right, in, in this cloud, this storm cloud, but it's still bright, radiating his, his divine glory as well. That's what's going on here, right? So here we have God the Father, his presence in this bright cloud, and then his voice just booming out of the cloud. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Again, clearly, Right, we've already seen him, Jesus here, radiating, shining forth his divine glory, identifying himself as, as God, right? But then we have the Father saying, yeah, that's who he is. He's God the Son, my son, right? With him whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, listen to him. And then it goes on, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Right, so what we see just passage after passage after passage after passage, it's not like these are the only ones. You can just go all over the place in Scripture, and it's just everywhere. The identity of Jesus. Who is he? It's so abundantly clear from Scripture. He is God the Son in the flesh. He is fully God, fully divine, and he has taken on a human nature, become a human being. This is 
who he is. And again, it's, it's all over the place. And yet, tragically, the reality is so much of our world just gets it wrong, just refuses to believe. Maybe they'll believe, okay, he was a human being. He taught some cool things, but that's sort of the extent of it. But for so many in our world, they just don't get it. They just don't see it. As I think of, you know, what's our application? What's our takeaway from all of this? Uh, really two part. The first is understand it and believe it, right? That, that's the first point of application, right? Understand and believe in, in who Jesus is, that he is God the Son who became one of us, became a human being. But I want to take that a step further. And as we sort of in particular focused on the divinity of Christ, since that's where people sort of refuse to believe and push back, I want to give us another application point, particularly related to his divinity, right? He is God. He is God the Son. And so what should be our appropriate response to him? And I think of Matthew 14 that we read, verse 33. This is the response of the disciples. Then those who are in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God, right? If he's God, and indeed he is God, what should be our response just to fall down, bow down, and worship him? And then even going further to say we should obey him and serve him. If he's God, and he, indeed he is, that should be our response to him, just to worship him, to obey him, to serve him, right? And so that, that's our application. Understand the truth about Christ. Understand who he is. Believe it. He is God the Son in the flesh. But then take that next step in recognizing his divinity. Worship him as he so rightfully deserves. Serve him and obey him as he so rightfully deserves. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, Lord Jesus, uh, we are just in awe of you. We see so clearly from Scripture who you are. We live in a world that just, in so many ways, so much of our world just refuses to accept it, even though it's, it's so plain, it's there for us to see. Whether it's all the times that you clearly identified yourself as God, I am. Whether it's all the, the wondrous miracles calming wind and storms, waves, walking on water, healing after healing after healing, raising people from the dead, just doing wondrous miracles one after another. We just see who you are. You're God. And not only that, but we see it as you forgave sins. Again, who does that but God? You're God. We see it in the transfiguration as we looked at. So you radiated your divine glory as the Father spoke of you as his Son, God the Son, whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. We just see it in these scriptures and all over the place in the Bible, who you are, God the Son, in the flesh. And we just marvel over you. We are just in awe of you, our great and awesome God. And Lord, I pray that all who are, he who are here, as, as I know they do, truly do understand and believe the truth about you and who you are. And then understanding your divinity, may we respond accordingly. May we bow down and worship. May we serve you as you so rightfully deserve. May we obey you as you rightfully deserve. And again, I know the hearts of the people here, we do worship you, we do serve you, we do obey you, but we can grow in all of those. And Holy Spirit, just, just help us to grow in that regard in our hearts, just to be overcome all the more by who you are, Jesus, your divinity, to just be blown away by you and just fall down and worship and serve you and obey you with all that we are wholeheartedly. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.